Welcome to Monday Morning Critic Podcast. Here is Derek Thomas. recognize my next guest for his great work in a little show called The Sopranos, the very underrated Goliath, The West Wing, and the immensely underrated Wind River, one of my top 10, certainly in the last 10 years, if not longer. You can also find him on his very motivating podcast, 10,000 Knows. His name is Matthew Del Negro. Matthew, how are you today? I'm good, Derek. Thank you. Thanks for uh, setting this up and having me on. Appreciate it. So before I get into you know a few other things, I just wanted to congratulate you on being nominated season or being up promoted, I suppose, to season regular uh, for um, City on a Hill. That's exciting. Oh, thank you. Yeah, very exciting. Um, you know, I, I had come into that show about midway through the first season, um, and all of them are really great. Kevin Bacon's a great guy, and uh, Aldous Hodge, and um, you know, just just the, the whole behind the camera and in front of the camera great people so it was really nice to be promoted to series regular this year and unfortunately you know we were shooting we were um almost through episode three when all of this went down and um i had to <laughs> quickly grab all of my stuff out of the apartment i was staying in in manhattan and um and hightail it out of town and, and get back to my family so you know as 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 is everybody, I am on pause right now, at least from acting. And when life returns to normality, which I which I hope it will, you know, um, sooner than later, I, um, it is a show that I think people would really enjoy. And we'll get to that in a bit. But, yeah, I can only imagine the, the pressure and stress many people are having to go to both in the industry and out of it. Um, but on a lighter note, I have to say, I'm, I'm thinking of making it a prerequisite, Matt, that only guests that are going to or have attended good schools in Boston can come on to my show at this point. I mean, I think you're you're a BC grad. I'm a Northeastern grad. Um, you had to enjoy that experience at Boston College. Oh, uh, yeah, I loved it. I mean, I always think of the, the line in Spinal Tap and they're like uh, something like uh, they had to cancel Boston. And like, it's not really a big college town. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you, and you played lacrosse there too, right? I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. A smart guy, too. Um, Dean's List. Jeez, you, you had it all. That's tough. Never mind playing D1 sports, but to make Dean's List, that's those are two remarkable accomplishments. Yeah, well, it, you got to be a real idiot to do that and then go be an actor. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, you get, you know, you get this is great for you if you want to go work on Wall Street. But what are you going to do? You're going to, uh, you know, you're going to stop, stop doing that and you're going to be an actor. And, and you're, you're, your life at that time when you're a D1 athlete, I mean, it's all sports and any free time you have, I would imagine is invested in school. I mean, there's really no free time for you to do other things. I mean, yeah, I'm sure there's some, but I mean, that is not that I would know what a division one athlete, you know, their schedule is like, but it would seemingly be difficult to, to, to integrate all that stuff into your life, Matthew. Yeah. You know, I, I actually found that being busy with like playing a sport, 
in a weird way was 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 actually made me more productive. I still think that as an adult that when I have a lot on my plate, um, it forces me to be more disciplined and I feel like I get a lot more done that way. So when I was, you know, playing lacrosse at BC, you know, I'd leave the house or, or the dorm, depending which year it was in the morning. And sometimes I wouldn't be home till night. Cause I would kind of, you know, you go to practice or you go to the gym, you go to class, I would go, there was a library there, the BAPS library, which was this like old school library that I just kind of dug. And I would go there and get my work done with no distractions. And then I'd go home and hang with my roommates who none of them played lacrosse. So, um, it was, it was a little bit of a dichotomy. It was like when I was working, I was working. And when I wasn't, I wasn't. And, and it actually made me more productive because when I, I stopped playing, after fall ball of junior year, that's when I did a play in the spring. And all of a sudden it was like, I had all this time on my hands and I don't think I was nearly as productive when I had all that time on my hands, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. And you, know? you, you mentioned, I mean, you're born in New York. I'm sorry to mention that earlier, but you know, you, you never were planning on getting into acting, correct? It kind of just, you, is it fair to say you stumbled into it? Is, is that a fair way of assessing that? Totally. I mean, I, um, when it happened, and I just actually through the podcast, I got a book deal. So I just wrote this book that'll come out later this year that kind of has a, it's called 10,000 No's also. And it's a lot of my stories and then, you know, some of the guest stories backing it up and like these topic of resilience and all of that kind of stuff. But I talk about in the book, like the, the whole career really came from this awful situation in college where I went abroad to Italy was going out with a girl. We broke up over there. My sister had given me a journal. I was basically like 19 going on 20 and had like a midlife crisis at, you know, as I call it the quarter life <laughs> crisis where I just, I just like poured everything out into a journal. And in that first journal, th those are the first traces of me saying, maybe I want to be a writer. Maybe I want to be an actor, but it was like out of this total breakdown this other voice came up from within and was like you're going down a path that you don't necessarily want to be going down you know it was like all the stuff you listed in the beginning like dean's list and lacrosse and all that stuff it, it was working for me but it wasn't really like underneath it i think i i was like this is not just all i want to do and it was from that trip I mean, it didn't happen immediately because I went back to BC and I just I, like I had this like, you know, eye opening trip over there. And like, I, you know, I ended up ripping through that journal, got another journal. Like I was just I was on fire. And then I came back to BC and I went right back to the beaten path of playing lacrosse again. Hmm. And it was basically like at the end of fall ball, we were jogging around Shea Field, which is where we practiced at the time. And I just had this thought. I was like, man, I wish I'd just roll my ankle right now so I didn't have to be here. And then I thought, like, this is crazy. Like, you're not on scholarship. You don't – no one's putting a gun to your head. You you should stop. And I went to the coach and I was like, I'm, I'm done. And he said, think about it. You still have a slot in the team. And I was like, well, I've thought about it. And, you know, thank you, but I'm done. And then I kind of freaked out that first weekend, like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And then that was – that actually allowed me the space that then spring of junior year, I went out for a play, which everyone was like, what? 
<laughs> what are you doing? You know what I mean? It was a very, you couldn't get further from the theater, like lacrosse to theater. It's like, you right. know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I opposite get it. ends of campus. You know what I mean? Right. And, uh, but I did this, I did this play. It was a little one act play called hello out there by William Saroyan. And it was like, it wasn't even the actual BC Rob Sham theater. It was like in a lecture hall. I mean, it was like a, it was like a nothing production. And yet I was literally like that one little thing. I think we did one or two nights performance and I just said to everybody, I'm going to be an actor. And they probably thought I was batshit crazy, you know, but right. I, I, I don't know. I just I got the bug, I guess. Yeah, and I was tempted to ask you earlier that lacrosse, it seems like it, it got to be a job for you at the, some, you know, it's like, Jesus Christ, like this is just, there's nothing redeeming here. There's, you know, you, you mentioned rolling, I wish I just rolled my, just had to be done with it. But then I think you develop a passion for acting, like you mentioned. I mean, I think then you kind of like, wow, this is, this is a place where I just want to keep coming back to. And that's, that's a sign of a passion. Wouldn't you say, Matthew? Yeah. I mean, look, the truth is I did love lacrosse. I love the guys. I love the camaraderie. I, you know, I love the sport and sports in general, but it just kind of, it had come to an end, you know, it was like, I wanted to go on spring break. I wanted to do something, you know, I, I just, I felt like it was only one sliver of my interests. And it, like I said, it was, it was almost as though this voice inside me came bubbling up and just grabbed me by the shirt and was like, no, you're not going to keep doing this. you got to explore some other stuff. And in retrospect, it's not as crazy as it seemed at the time. Like when I look back now, I go, okay, growing up, I played a little piano and could sing. Um, you know, I never did any plays, but like, you know, when they would do the variety show every year, they would always grab people to do like the class act. And I would always get grabbed to do something in that. And I always had fun with it, but it was not like I never took it seriously. It was just like, oh, yeah, we're just doing this thing with our friends, you know, whatever. But when I look back now, I think about the piano playing. I played a little guitar and sang like when it's starting probably in college, um, maybe even in high school. Uh I, when I was younger, I used to break dance. Like me and my friends had the cardboard <laughs> and we would break, like, like I was very cool, into that, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, so looking back now, it makes total sense. But at the time it really was, it felt like it was like out of left field completely. And, and you and I are the same age. And I have to say, you know, there was a time when we were younger, you know, college, high school, where drama was about the most uncool thing you can do. Fast forward mm -hmm. to 2020, Matthew, it's the thing to do. It's funny how times change, isn't it? Like, was it like that for you? Like, was drama like, I always felt like drama was like frowned upon. Like if you were the outcast or it was almost like if you were part of the breakfast club, you did drama. It's, but now it's like the cool thing to do. Don't you think it's come a long way in progression? Yeah, totally. I mean, it was funny. One, there's a podcast that Bill Simmons has called the rewatchables that someone told me about recently. And they talk about the breakfast club. You should go check that out because it's <laughs> It's it's interesting. It kind of comments on all of this, what we're talking about. But I, yeah, I wrote something. So, you know, Backstage Magazine or whatever, they they have this thing. It's like Backstage Experts. So they'll, they'll come to me every month. And then if I'm not busy, I'll write uh, a column or whatever for them. And I wrote one last year that was exactly about that. I was basically saying, as I've gone along, I've met a bunch of actors that were athletes 
And I think there's a real correlation. And I actually talk about this in the book too. There's, there's a whole chapter on performance. And it's like, there's a correlation between athletes and actors because it's about performance. But, but back in the day in high school, for, for us, it was the jocks and the dramies. That's those, those were the two groups and they were on the opposite sides of campus. And, you know, it was like, Oh, look at the freak dramas. And then it was like, Oh, look at the dumb jocks. And I was kind of always this guy that was, I kind of connected with a bunch of different people from different groups. That's just, I was lumped in, I think with the jock group, but I never felt like that represented all of me, which is probably what you know, led me four years later to, or whatever it was to stop playing lacrosse and go do some other stuff. You know, it's, 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 um, the two groups are a lot closer than they realize in my opinion. No, that's well said. You know, I have a, I have a question I've been dying to ask you. So my other job, I've been working with kids for 20, 25 years. It's been a while. And you know, one of those kids that 20 years ago I, I had in class now is, I want to say, 23, 24, and he wants to get into acting. And he's he was accepted into the Stella Adler, um, it's like a New York City summer program. Yeah. And he asked me, I, I said, I said, you know, I'll, I'll bring it up to Matthew because he really, I mean, your podcast is all about this. Your, your life has been all about talking to grads and, you know, masters of fine arts programs. You know, he asked me the order of, you know, how he should approach things. And I said, you know, I think a coach is ne- or a mentor is necessary. I think, you know, theater work is essential. Um, what would you tell him is essential to get started in that? And I'm sure you're asked this question in a variety of different ways. But w- what would you tell somebody that wants to get into acting? Is there an order of things? Is there a must-have on a checklist? How- what would you tell him, Matthew, in his journey into becoming an actor? All right. First of all, I'm going to say the way you ask that question is so smart and so great. And I, okay, <laughs> it's a, you're, you've got to unpack a lot here. I, you know, I used to teach an acting class. Like you said, I've gone and spoken to these um, acting, you know, three-year programs as they were about to graduate. Um, I still do some one-on-one coaching, but it's now kind of morphed into more career coaching, more kind of these types of conversations with people as, as, in, as opposed to me actually teaching them acting. I'm like, go get an acting class. Cause I can't be consistent for you, but you can come check in with me about kind of things to do my opinion. And I wish I could tell you there was like a one, two, three, four, five step list and boom, you're an actor. I wish I could tell you that. Mm. I don't think there is, but I do think there are certain tenets of success in general and they apply to actors and they apply to entrepreneurs and they actually apply to anybody. And it's all the basics that you grew up hearing. Those things all play into it. You know, there are like, it's just like, if you really care about it, you've got to be, you know, you've got to be obsessed with it because it's so competitive. You know, you, you've got to really want to get better every day. There's always someone out there that's better than you, that's working harder than you. So you got to know that. Um, I do think having a mentor is really important because Maybe unlike any other business, uh, aside from maybe singers, you know, people, young people in particular are preyed upon because they, 
they want it so badly. And unfortunately, people in power positions can use that to take advantage of them. So there's a lot of people out there that are claiming, you know, you'll hear people with way less experience than me. Their message is like way more certain than my message is. My message, if you really think about it, it's not so certain. I'm basically like, hey, it's going to be really uncertain and you need to figure out how to weather the storm and give yourself enough shots that you eventually get the shot at the title. And, you know, I mean, literally like the the book, like it's a whole book worth of, of stuff and it's a whole, you know, I've been doing the podcast three years, so there's, I'm not going to get to all of it right here, but it's like, you know, what, what can you do to set yourself up for success? And the stuff that they don't talk about in acting class that I think is super important for a young kid who's, who's starting this. I think about like what I did the beginning in New York. I found a rent stabilized apartment. It was a fifth floor walk up. It wasn't sexy at all. Trust me. Um, I built a wall and a loft. I got a roommate. So I was paying 500 bucks a month to live in Manhattan. And I stayed there for seven years. And my seventh year, I was still paying like 632 bucks a month. And what that did, I got a bartending job that was at night so I could be freed up to do my auditions during the day. I didn't want something that interrupted my my main whole reason for being in the city was to act. So I saw a bunch of people along the way that got caught up in the restaurant world and like getting to the top shift in their restaurant. And I'm like, no, you're missing the point. You got to free up your schedule so you can act. That's the whole point. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I think people get off. I think people don't have enough focus and they, and so they, they go down these rabbit holes that like are not getting them back to the original, the original goal. And, and the reason I bring up the, the apartment and it's like the logistics, unless you are independently wealthy, you know, you have a trust fund. If you do, God bless you. Cause then, you know, you don't have to worry about this stuff. But for me at the time, it's like I had to bartend to make money to pay my rent and I had to make enough and be smart enough with it so that when I got a, a play, even when I got like legitimate off-Broadway plays, equity plays, they paid me like, I think it was like 234 bucks a week before taxes. And I was bartending. I was making like three or 400 bucks a night bartending a few nights a week. So when I would get a play, I'd have to give up my bartending shifts. And for those two months or so, it's like I'm making no money. So how do I do that and not, you know, flame out? Well, I had low expenses and I was smart to not spend all my money. And my thought was always, if I give myself enough time, I think I have maybe, and this is questionable, maybe enough talent and enough drive that I could keep going and eventually I'm going to get a shot. And that's kind of how it happened. And even when it happened, then I went back. I mean, like I did Sopranos, like maybe the biggest show on the planet. And I came out to LA afterward for pilot season thinking like, I mean, literally people treated me like I was like, Oh, where's my show? I thought like, <laughs> I was like, Oh yeah, <laughs> sign me up. I came out, I rifled through money three or four months later. I went back to New York with my tail between my legs and I bartended for another two years after that. People don't like to hear that story, but that's the freaking truth. Wow.
Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's the truth. And people would come in, they're like, oh, you're Tony's boy. What are you doing? I'm like, I need to pay my my mortgage or my rent, depending on what time it was. At that point, I think I had a place. But, you know, it was, it was, it's, it's not easy. And that's kind of the whole point of 10,000 No's is that I sit down with all these people that look like they're flying around in jets and maybe they are now, but what did they do to get there? Like, it ain't easy. You know, and no one wants to hear that side of it, but that's the truth. You scratch the surface with anybody who's gotten anywhere and they have been through the ringer. I'm telling you that's, yeah. and, and I'm certainly no different, man. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm still in the ringer. Yeah. I'm still going through it. Yeah. And it's the stories, Matthew, that you don't hear, like you mentioning that are the ones, you know, the you living in, you know, for seven years and then having Sopranos then having to grind it out again. I mean, it's those stories that people I think need to hear, which is, and we're going to get to 10,000 O's in a moment, but my God, those are the stories that people don't hear that are the most fascinating. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. I mean, look, I've got a, I've got a buddy from college who is a trauma surgeon in Boston. He was a Navy SEAL. He's, he's like, he's the best. I love him. And I interviewed him on on the podcast and we i mean that one is like a two-hour conversation where you know it's maybe annoying because we have inside jokes and all that stuff <laughs> people seem to like it but it was a very laid-back conversation but he's just such a smart wise guy but his thing is and and i love this and he said it before but they had a they had a saying in the the teams when he was a seal they said everybody wants to be a frogman on a sunny day and that's that's the same thing for, you know, everybody wants to be an actor on the night of the premiere, but like, do you really want to be, do you really want to do what it's going to require to do this? Right. Cause it's, it is rough at times. I mean, it will, it will pound you down and I have been pounded down. I mean, in fact, the podcast came because I was pounded down so much that I was like losing my I, I kind of started to lose my passion for acting because I was doing jobs that I wasn't necessarily crazy about, but I needed, you know, I needed to, I needed to work and, but I just felt like I started to get squashed. And then I feel like I've had a resurgence because I've been able to sit down with people that have inspired me and I'm like, oh, okay, no, 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 you can turn this thing around. And it feels like it's in some way the ship has been turned around, you know? Yeah. So my last question about just at that part of acting is, is, and you've answered a lot of this is, is theater essential? I mean, when I ask many actors this question, I feel like the answer is yes. I feel like most say you have to have some type of theater or play work or something along those lines. Would you say, is the word essential appropriate, Matthew? You know, I, I tend to think that it's a really important aspect um, because if you look at film and TV, the acting is a sliver of the whole overall product. Whereas if you look at the stage, there's the play and obviously there's the direction and the sound design. I mean, the set design and all that, but there's the performance. Like on the, once the play is up, it's all about the performance. Um, and there's something about that that requires, uh, it, it, you know, it, it requires all of you. Um, on the other hand, there are some of the greatest actors of our generation and of history that, you know, I don't know that, the, I mean, I don't know, has 
Johnny Depp done theater? I don't think so, but I think he's a damn great actor. Right. True. You know, like yeah. I, I don't know. Did did River Phoenix do do theater? I don't think so. It was damn great. I don't know. I don't know actually the the answer on some of those, but there's a different. It's it's kind of the principles of acting are the same regardless, but it's just the modulation of how how big or how small you are what you know the fact that when you're you're doing a play uh you are carrying the entire arc of your character's journey all at once every night in front of people whereas when you're doing film and tv it's this one little sliver and you're gonna you know you're gonna take a run at it sometimes maybe 20 30 times you know and they're gonna pick what they pick and and put it together and your performance is subject to the direction and the editing choices and uh, you know how it was shot and all of that stuff but the the principles of acting i'm not going to say it's essential i would say you know i'll give you this my my son has been saying he's only uh, 12 years old. And he's been saying for years, he wants to act. And we, we were always like, no, 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 do something else, do something else. <laughs> Finally, we're like, we're like, well, you could do it. I said, you could do it, but I don't want you going on auditions like for professional jobs. I said, go do the community theater. And so that's what he's done. And he's still, I mean, just last night he was balking about that. He's like, I don't want to do that. They're doing, he's doing Oliver. And he's like, I don't want to do this musical theater. And he can actually <laughs> sing. Right. He's like, I just want to go, I just want to go do a movie. You know, I just want I'm going to be an actor. And I'm like, that's cool. Learn the craft and then go do that. It will be foundation underneath you and it will serve you later. And, you know, I guess that goes back to what I was saying when you were asking about your student, which is, there are certain principles. I don't know what's essential. I can't tell you like, you know, like what everybody used to say, get your SAG card. I'm like, even back then I realized, I was like, you know, that's overrated. Right. Don't get your SAG card. Get experience. Get miles on, on the road. Then get worry about your SAG card when your SAG card comes. Who right. gives a shit? You know, <laughs> right, like, right. like you. so you got your SAG card being in, you know, like in a Triscuit commercial. Great. Did that make you a better actor? not necessarily, but you went and did like, you know, 15 student films and some of, you know, 14 of them were absolutely terrible. Did you learn a lot about acting? Hell yeah. If you had the right attitude. So my thought is like, get experience, especially while you're young, just get experience. Even the bad jobs teach you something. They teach you what not to do. So it's like, just do it, just do it, just do it, just do it. That's, that's my, that's how you learn. You learn by doing. Right, and there's no like what I'm getting from you is Matthew. There's no one path. It's it's the path that's right for you with some key ingredients, like you're mentioning. You know, hard work, get the experience, grind. You know, it, you're going to go through tough times. So all of that makes a lot of sense to me now. I have to I have to be very honest with you. Yeah, and it, yeah, there's there are as many ways to be an actor as there are actors. Like I certain I always say that to people. I'm like, hey, listen, listen to what I say. But take me with a grain of salt and take everybody with a grain of salt. I'm one dude. I come from a very particular set of circumstances. And the next person to tell you something comes from a very particular set of circumstances, too. You don't know what all went into who they are, what they are, what they've been given, what they haven't been given. You you just you just don't know. But I think that if you can, you know, control what you can control 
and admit that you can't control a lot of things. You know, it's mm. it's like so it, you just accept you can accept that the stuff that's that's out of your control, but that doesn't mean you know, you're not surrendering and yet you are surrendering. You're surrendering to going like, look, I'm going to do every, it's like how I look at auditions. I'm going to do everything I can in the room to go, this is roughly what you're going to get, or this is a preview of the beginnings of what you're going to get if you hire Matt Del Negro for this gig and they're going to take it or leave it. I mean, I've gone in and had ones where I thought, oh my God, I knocked that out of the park. Literally didn't hear from them ever again, you know? And then there are times when I'm like, eh, you know, wasn't so great. And I got the gig and the gig lasted two years. You know, it's like, I, there are things out of your control and all you can do is what you can do. And so it's like, always be prepared. You know, it's like show up on time, be prepared, you know, uh, uh, be curious, be, be courageous, be willing, willing to take risks. Um, you know, and, and, and I guess if you're going to say that there's one thing that's essential and I don't know how to teach this, but you, you gotta have a sense of who you're putting as your, as your mentors or your teachers, right? Because sometimes I cringe when like someone tells me what they're doing or who they're learning. And I'm like, Oh, that person's just not, you, you, that's great that you're doing it, but like you could probably find someone else who's, who's more, who's going to help you a, a lot more. So, so maybe it's like, look to people that have either been where you want to go or people who have taught people that have been where you want to go. You know, like if you're going to find a teacher, find a teacher that, you know, I, like I, I interviewed, a, uh, uh, Terry Knickerbocker, uh, he's in New York and, and Sam Rockwell, who I know, who's an incredible ath- actor. Amazing. Yeah. He, he is like, Terry is Sam's go-to guy. You know, it's like, okay, that doesn't, it still doesn't mean that Terry has all the answers, but if Sam has been sticking with him for this many years, ah, he can't be terrible. Right. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. You got like you gotta have some sense about how you pick the people that you're choosing to take information from. And I, you know, I mean, I think about the first, the very first acting class I took in New York before, like I ended up t- uh, studying with Terry Schreiber uh, for four years, and he he was great for me. And there were there was before that I took this class, like I got into it before I even lived in the city, and. And I actually got a lot out of it and it was great for me at the time. But I look back now and I'm like, oh man, this teacher presented himself in a way that was really kind of different from what the reality was of where he was in his career. And it's just interesting. I I still got something out of it. I mean, I still, but it's just very interesting. I think a lot of people can say whatever they want to say and a lot of young people just listen to it. And it's like, you know, now you can back it all up with IMDb. Go see what they've done. Right. See what they've done. Google them, you know, like, cause you know, like you have that at your disposal. So be smart to figure out who it is that you're going to place as your mentors, because that can take a lot of years off of 
the struggle. Like it's like some of my entrepreneur friends that I've interviewed now, they call it, they, they're all into mentoring and masterminds and all that. And they call it buying speed. They're basically like, when, when you get a mentor, you pay for a coach, you're buying speed. Cause you're basically going, okay, this person bumped against the wall for 10 years. They're going to tell me all their stuff. I'm still going to bump against the wall for a couple of years, but maybe less than them because they're telling me all the pitfalls that they went into, you know? Right. Right. So, so that's kind of, you know, you got to be smart about who you're going to, who you're going to listen to. No, that's really well said, you know, advocate for yourself, do your homework. That all makes sense to me. Um, just touching quickly on some of the things in your filmography, you know, I know obviously it's a very lengthy one. You've done amazing things. When you get that opportunity for Sopranos, Matt, I mean, it's, I mean, it's four seasons in. It's already the best show on TV. I mean, we look back now, it's maybe the best of all time. Um, was there pressure on you? Um, you're coming at season four. It's already an established product. Do you feel like you almost have to be something you're not? I mean, is the pressure that heavy for you? Or, or are you kind of handling it, processing it appropriately so you're, you're calm and kind of just doing your job? Um, I mean, that was such an awesome period of my life because... I will never, I was young enough and naive enough that I'll never have a, like a get like I had with Sopranos again, because I didn't, you know, I don't, I know too much now, but like I got that. I knew it was huge. Um, so I was aware of it in the moment. Um, but I mean, I guess I could tell you the very first day, kind of a funny, cool story. I don't think I've even told this. Um, my very first day of working, we were shooting an episode called Pi oh My, and we were at the, I think it was the Aqueduct uh, racetrack in, I think, I don't know where the hell it was. I think it was in Long Island or, yeah. And I was in my little, it was a trailer, but it was, it was a four banger, which for people that don't know what that is, it's kind of like a glorified, you know, uh john basically. And I was there. <laughs> And I was out in the, it was, it was over the winter and I was kind of out in the cold and I was just sitting in there while they were shooting the scenes before mine. And I called my wife and I was like, uh, yeah, I'm just sitting out here or whatever. She's like, why don't you go in? I mean, it's the greatest advice. She goes, why don't you go in and watch them filming? And I was kind of like, well, I don't want to be there cause I don't want to be in the way or whatever it was. Anyway, I went in. And they were shooting a scene with Gandolfini and his, uh, the guy who plays Ginsburg, who's his, his CPA, and he's giving him tax advice or whatever. And there were a bunch of extras in, in this scene. And I watched them. They were like just rehearsing it or I don't think they were starting to shoot it. And I, I was – my heart started palpitating and my palms started getting sweaty just watching this like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And, and it was the greatest thing that I could have done was to go in there because I had that experience for the first five or 10 minutes. And then I realized they were shooting it over and over from different angles and this and that, and you know, different sizes and all that. And it was probably like two or three hours before we shot our scene. And my scene was with, you know, Joey pants, Joe Pantoliano, yes, yep. uh, Gandolfini, myself, and maybe Imperioli. I can't remember who was, it might have been one other person. And anyway, we're like, it, it was like a nothing scene, really. Like we're watching the we're watching the race. It wasn't like a ton of dialogue or anything like that. But it was my first time with them. And 
I think by going in and, and watching, I just settled my nerves. And then once we got there, Gandolfini, you know, may he rest in peace, was so awesome to me. I mean, he he was he just was a great mentor. Talk about mentors. He was great for me. And and um, he kind of put me at ease. And then I just felt like, no, I mean, I'm here. I mean, you got to realize I was acting for seven years. I had moved into the city seven years before that. Right. That was I mean, I had I had been doing it for a long time. And that was really my first break i had done not not really i had done some other stuff but this was like the first significant thing that really kind of put me on the map in any way shape or form um but you know i had like i said i had a bunch of miles under me so it was it was new and intimidating but it was also eventually it was kind of like you know fall back on your training and i was like okay okay you know um I'm around greatness here, but, uh, you know, maybe I can contribute in some way. No, I find your wife's advice there fantastic because I feel like even then, I know you've been around acting, you can always, I feel like, learn more, no matter what your field is. And I know if this is, you're a big believer in this, you can always learn more. Do you find that on a lot of the sets you're on? You're always learning. You're always evolving. You're, I mean, so in Goliath, you work a phenomenal uh, show. You work with Billy Bob Thornton. Do you find you're, you're picking brains, you're observing, you're noticing? Does that happen a lot, or are you more focused on what you have to do, or is it like a combination of both, Matthew? Uh, I would say always learning something on every job, even the ones that I don't like, Um even if it's learning what not to do, or even if it's meeting someone that ends up being a friend that, you know, lasts forever. Um, and it's a combination of sometimes being just in my own, in my own world, working on my stuff and then coming in. And sometimes it's, um, integrating with other people on set. I mean, it's funny. This it's a great question. This year, this season on City on a Hill, uh, kind of had this conscious moment where last year I came in as a guest, and I liked everybody. I got to know everybody, but I felt like you know I'm coming in. I felt like I was barely there. You know, kind of did my thing, and you know, did my thing. I felt like I would deliver, and then I'd get out of there. And at one point I was getting mic'd up before a scene and, and the woman who was putting the mic on goes, man, you're so serious. And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah, you're, you know, it's, you know, it's great. I mean, but it's like, you're really like, you're intense or something like that. And I was like, that's so funny. You should go see huge in France right now, which was, it was this Netflix comedy I did that yeah, was like right. completely. And it was out like right at the time she was saying this. And I'm like, that's so funny. I don't think I'm such a serious guy, but I guess I was in that context. This so so then flash forward to between the two seasons, I went up to Boston and through one of the producers, I got hooked up with the guys in the gang unit up there because I play the captain of the gang unit. So I did a I did like a whole day of ride-alongs with these guys up in Boston. It was awesome. Like it was it, it was incredible. But the big takeaway I had was these guys were all total ball busters, really funny Boston guys. And then something would happen and we'd be like, boom, like zero to a hundred in, in like 0.2 seconds, chasing someone or flying through the city, whatever it was. Um, and I was like, oh, I need to loosen my guy up a little bit. And in this season, I want him to be lighter. And so 
I started doing this thing this year where I'm like, rather than sit in my trailer and doing all this kind of prep, I was like, I'm just going to be on the set more. Like when they're shooting other scenes, not always, but when they're shooting other scenes, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be talking to people. I'm going to be integrated because this, that's going to give me more looseness with this, with this character. You know, he's, he's kind of, he's there, he's got a job to do, but he's also like shooting the shit with people, Mm. you know? And so, so in that particular circumstance that worked and it just depends, you know, it kind of depends on the role. It depends on the show. Like I, I don't, you know, when people talk about their process, I think, I guess I do have some, but it's, it's, it's different. Like a lot of times my approach will be different depending on my relationship to the character, depending on the show, how they work on that particular show. Um, I don't know. It's, it's not, you know, it's not always just one exact way that, that I work. No, but the point is Matt, and and I love what you said because, you know, it's a great show for those of you who haven't seen it. I mean, season one is available. Uh, Jackie Rohr, I don't think there's a character like him in any show on any platform ever. Uh, And you guys had an awesome report. I just love the entire show. But I guess the point of this is, and what you just said, Yeah, there is no one way, but you know what? The one thing I see some actors do that I think in any field, that's a real detriment, is you become complacent. Like you decided, you know what? I can maybe tweak this a little bit. I can adjust a little bit. And that's the whole point, I think, Matthew, right? It's it's just whatever you do, just don't become complacent. Yeah, I think when you get complacent, it also is boring. Like, you don't want to be there anymore. I right. mean, if you think about, go back to my lacrosse. I was just going to say that. I, I yeah. probably got complacent, you know, like either, you know, whatever for whatever reason, in some way I got complacent and it was no longer alive for me. So when that happens and you're not enjoying it anymore, then you got to reevaluate and maybe either do something different or or change up the way you're approaching it so that it's more uh, engaging for you, you know? Yeah, and the very last thing I wanted to ask you about was Wind River. It is the most underrated movie in the last 10 years. Um, I was at a Seattle Comic-Con two years ago. I talked to Jeremy Renner for about 10 minutes, Elizabeth Olsen for a brief moment, I want to say. But I have to say, it is so... I mean, you talk about talent. Taylor Sheridan, his directorial debut, my God, Matthew. I mean, talk about that experience for you because it is truly is for a variety of reasons. One of the most fascinating movies. I mean, just before we get into the movie itself and the content, what Taylor Sheridan did to take that power away from you know Harvey Weinstein, which I think hurt the movie a little bit, and I feel like the actors were unfairly penalized because... It should have been nominated in a variety of ways, but that's another conversation, I guess, for another time. Taylor Sheridan takes the power back, kind of gives the profits to the, of the movie to the National Indigenous Women's Resource Center. Really, just a stand-up guy. Uh, I love this movie. I can't say I can't tell you enough how much I love this movie. Your thoughts on the movie and anything you wanted to add to that, Matthew? Yeah, that was a great. I'm glad you loved it so much. I I really I agree with you. I mean, I was lucky enough to go see that screened at Sundance in 20, I think it was 17, Mm -hmm. uh, at the Eccles theater, which is their big theater. There It was like a Saturday night, nine o'clock slot. It's like the best slot you could get. It was packed. It was on a huge screen and it was just awesome to see the audience react to it. And I, I think Renner is so good in that movie. And 
Elizabeth Olsen, um, Graham Greene is insane in that. Yes. Like he, he is a master of doing nothing and doing everything all at once. Like he, he was, he's amazing to me. Um, but yeah, my, my experience was I had a blast doing it. I really wasn't in, I mean, do you swear on this uh, podcast? What's the, yes, you can absolutely say whatever you I, like. I got a friend whose dad was like, uh, Hey Matt, uh, I saw you in that, that wind river movie. It's like, uh, my, my friend asked about it. I said, yeah, my, my son's kid is in it. Uh, and he said, oh, is he a big role? He said, well, he comes on. He says, fuck, 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 fuck. And then he gets shot. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, that's, you know, not such an unfair description of it. Like we have that, you know, huge shootout that was just unbelievable, man. I mean, it, it was a really great experience. The guys were awesome. We went to uh, Park City. We shot it out like in the canyons of Utah. And then we shot the interiors on a soundstage outside of park city. And it was one of those, um, I had known Renner from years back when I first came to LA and then I hadn't seen him for a while. Uh, he had done a movie with Sam Rockwell. And so we had, you know, and so I hadn't seen him, but his career has just, you know, he's obviously, uh, you know, kind of gone through the roof. So that was, Nice to see, you know, kind of see him and be in a movie with him, even though we didn't have much to do together. But it was just being being out there like the really a lot of because uh, I talk about that a little bit in the book. And I, I kind of talk about like the um, the tech advisor on that, who is Taylor's cousin, uh, was an army ranger, ex army ranger. And, and I really spent a lot of time with him because I had so much of my stuff was like, you know, loading and reloading my gun in the middle of this firefight and, and doing it in a, in a way that was like, you, you know, I had to really be able to handle a gun and, and talking to him about what it was like, you know, in combat. And what he said was like, when, when everything went sideways, he's like, I fell back on my training and, you know, which is kind of what I'm saying as an actor. And, and that was, you know, it was one of those, those experiences where, if you really go back and look at what we did in it, it was all mostly physical. You know, it was a very intense section of the scene. So I was there for maybe a little over a week and then went back and did the interiors after that. And that stuff with John Bernthal, where we're, we have the whole, there's like a, you know, fight and the whole thing. And he, he's a great guy as well. And he's a bull. Like we had to wrestle. It was like, it was like wrestling with Bernthal for 12 hours. The next day you're kind of sore. Um, and, uh, you know, Taylor Sheridan, I'll tell you what I love about him. One, he was, he, for such a guy's guy, cause he's a real outdoorsman. I mean, he grew up on, uh, you know, working on ranches and like, you know, he's got drives a big truck and he's like a real, he's like outside the Hollywood system in so many ways. And what I loved is that for such a guy's guy, when we shot that scene, which was very delicate scene to shoot with the young woman who was, you know, it's like, there's a rape for people that don't know it. It's a rape scene. It's kind of a gang rape. It's not explicitly shown, but there's a lot of fighting and she's around and she, he brought us all together. We rehearsed the hell out of that before shooting it. Um, he wanted it to be, He's like, it's got to look like mayhem, but we've got to be really under control and we cannot hurt this girl. And and he's and he also called all of the male cast because it was a lot of us. 
And he goes, I don't want to hear anything that's off color, anything in any way that could be offensive. Like he was, it it was really, really kind of great. He's like, I want you to be so mindful when he's like, I want you to go for it. It's got to look, you know, raw, but you need to be so mindful of this young woman, this actress that's here, that's, you know, that's, that's a part of this. And I, I just thought that was really cool. And I also really respect the fact that Taylor is an actor first and he created this incredible career that he has now as a writer director. He created it on his own by just writing on the side for a lot of years when nobody cared. And then all of a sudden everybody cared. Yeah. I mean, Matthew's talking, for those of you listening, Matthew's talking about Taylor Sheridan, who wrote Hell or High Water, Sicario. When, I mean, he might be one of the best writers on the planet. Um, I don't think your character was small in any way, getting, getting back a little bit, because he's important. your character's important in setting up that, you know, you mentioned the scene with the girl, and then the shootout, which might be the most... I was taken back by the show. Like, I was so, like, holy cow. Like, when you see the sniper rifle and people getting blown back, it's the most powerful shootout scene i think i've seen in a while matthew but the whole movie is really you could tell with your story just now about taylor the whole movie has kid gloves like that as far as how it's handled how things are handled but yet its message is so freaking powerful yeah i mean it's it's one of those ones it's a beautiful movie and it's a tough movie to watch i mean i get a lot of reactions from people about that movie they they they're really like it it hits you I mean, it, it doesn't pull any punches and, uh, yeah, it kind of speaks to a really sad situation that's happening on those reservations. And yeah, I don't mean to say it it was small and that's it was, but I mean, you know, it was largely, there was, it was intense, but there was a lot of action. It's really that one extended sequence and Wade Allen, who was our stunt coordinator, he was so great because he's a ex LAPD and he's just like, look, we've got to make this thing. He showed us video. I mean, you know, we saw really what happens when you're shot. Not that he's like, I don't want the film version of you getting shot. He's like, when you get shot, it's like someone pulls a cord on you. And also it's like sometimes if you get shot before you're actually killed, you can have as much adrenaline going. And then it's like when it finally happens, the lights come out. So they took great pains to make sure that it was authentic to what was going on. And I think that's why when you see the final product, it it really does come across as so intense and so raw and you almost have to look away. Because they took such, you know, they went they went through the details. They did their homework and, and they conveyed it to us. And then we hopefully, you know, portrayed it in that way. And then I, I just think, you know, Renner's performance in that in that lead role to me is is so good because he had so much going on underneath, but he didn't push for anything. He didn't push for emotion. He kind of held it all together, but it just it just it came out. So he was this real, like, you know, raw, tough guy, cowboy, but he had this pain from having lost his own daughter. And I just think it's an incredible performance. It's the first, it's, when people say, what should I watch? It's the first movie out of my mouth. If somebody hasn't watched a lot of movies or they're behind, it's the first one out of my mouth. And, you know, when I was at that Seattle Comic-Con, I showed Renner a poster. I have a rare Canadian poster. It's, you know, Wind River. And he signed it. He put, that's a warrior. No, that's a warrior. I mean, I, I, 
he, when he saw the poster, I could see, I swear to God, I swear, I put my hand on the Bible on this. He had like tears in his eyes a little bit from look. It was just very powerful. He's clearly invested in that movie as, as all of you were. So thank you for touching on that. Um, yeah. before I let you go, I want to talk about 10,000 no's, uh, Listen to the Henry Winkler. You've had some awesome guests. You had Mark Duplass, who's great, Richard Schiff. Um, I know why you started the podcast I, from talking to you. How do you select what? So I have a pattern when I select guests. It's got to be somebody like obviously your work moves me. I love your podcast. I love what you're about. What goes through your head when you select a guest? Because you've had a really eclectic bunch here. You've had Navy SEALs, you've had coaches, you've had showrunners. Um, I mean, I must have went through briefly a bunch of them. I listed two or three whole interviews. Um, I have to say, what goes through your head when you decide who you want on the show? <laughs> That's so funny. I wish there's a method to my madness. There's really not. Um, it's It started with, I was just like, okay, who do I know that's kind of interesting? And then it it has led to, it's been one of the greatest things in terms of like, you know, it, like I'll interview someone they'll have a good time and they'll say, Oh, you know who you should interview? And they'll, they'll tell me about someone and then I'll interview them and they'll tell me someone, or it's someone that I've worked with or it's someone that I know from my life. I mean, there was, there was one point, actually one of the really, uh, kind of highly listened to episodes. And this is really cool to me. It's one of my college roommates, younger brother, um, who was almost like he, he was going, going to go pro, uh, in hockey, everybody thought, and then he got a bunch of concussions in college and he got depressed and he dropped out. Anyway, long story short, he ended up going to Thailand and he studied, uh, 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 Buddhism. And now he's like a PTSD specialist and just a crazy story. And we had reconnected. He reached out to me because he had been listening and he like really liked it. And we had now when I knew him, he was, coming to visit us at BC, he was like 13 or 14 years old. You know, he was like little brother. And now I had this conversation with him where he reached out to me and we talked for like an hour and I was like, man, I wish I recorded that conversation. That was amazing. And I said, let's, let's do this as an episode. Let's, let's, I'm going to do it for real. And we called, you know, I, I called him up. We did it, you know, on zoom or whatever. And, and it was amazing. And like, nobody knows that guy, but because he had great content and he had a great take on things people people dug it so i go on instinct i go on you know as the podcast has grown i get solicited a lot more um a lot of times like you know publicists will email me with like a bunch of people and that's the hardest thing is like there are so many great stories out there and there's so many great people out there so it's hard to say no to them because you're like god this person is really they've done so much who am i to not have them on this show but it's more like i can only do so much so i kind of go yeah i go with my my gut and then there are a lot of people that i've said yeah you're gonna come on and it just hasn't happened yet and then like it, you know, it's very organic. It's I, I wish I could tell you there was a strategy. I guess if there's any prerequisite, it's like I've got I've to have an inkling to really like the person or if I don't know them, I've got to have something that I know is going to make me engaged with them and mm -hmm. want to be there listening to them. Because if I'm into it, the listeners are going to be into it. If I'm just – if it turns into, a, you know – 
a gig for me where I'm like, oh, I got to do another thing. Then why am I doing it? You know, that that's my thought. So, so it's in terms of where they come from, whether it's like from my industry or, or another industry, that's not so much the prerequisite as, as it's like, what's their story? What's their vibe? Are people going to, are they going to encourage people that are listening to keep going? And are they, are, are people going to like connect with them? And, and, you know, sometimes it's, Sometimes you get like a real connection from one person about a certain guest and then someone else will go like, oh, I didn't like that person, you know, and yeah. you're just like, you can't please everyone. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's a very, uh, it's a, a very, uh, instinctive process of figuring out who's coming on next. You know, you're clearly passionate though. Like the stories are brought to you in a variety of formats, either somebody, you know, in your personal life or somebody that contacts you. You know, I have to say in my category in film and TV interviews, you know, I ask people that move me, that I'm really, like you mentioned this, like you want to tell their story. You, This is an awesome person. And in my category, there's podcasts that have like this service, Matthew, that like they pay every month and they're provided guests. I just don't know how you tell a story like that. I don't know how you could tell a story that, like you said, that that's like, you're just like, ugh, you know, like not, not that the person is not worthy of an interview, but I feel like as a host, you have to love and want to tell that story. And if somebody's giving me a lot of kind of, I don't know, random names and random, I mean, sometimes I guess that could work, but I feel like it's a story you have to want to tell. I mean, as a, as a fellow podcaster, wouldn't you agree with that? Totally. I mean, that that's the thing, you know, like when the publicists uh, will send stuff and they'll, they'll send like multiple people. I'm always a little bit like, oof. like I had one person and he actually, his what he was talking about was I agreed with the content of this book that he had written, but the long story short, I had this really interesting guest that was given to me through a friend of mine who has a podcast. And he's like, this guy is the most interesting guy I've had in the whole last year. And this, and this friend has a big podcast and I was like, awesome. So he hooked me up with him. I loved him. Then I got an email from someone saying that this person had suggested them. And so I was just like, oh, if he suggested them, he must be great. And I got on and we did it remotely. And I'm not going to say names. It was, but he was, you know, had a book coming out. And I felt when I got done, I felt like while I liked the content of his book, I felt like I was used to be a commercial for the book. And I didn't like it. And I was like, I don't want to do that again. Like, you know, screw that. Like, I want to do something that, like, I want to choose. Like, like you could you could talk about your thing. That's cool. But let's, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to produce a 60-minute commercial for you. Right, <laughs> you know right. What I mean? that, right. If, that's it's, what, if it's part of the interview, great. But it's not a 60-minute infomercial. Right. So that's what sometimes when I get pitched by, bookers i feel like there that's what those ones are going to end up being and the person it's it's not the fault of the the person they're pitching like usually their stuff is great but sometimes it's a little too like i don't know it's a little too salesy for me or something like that and i'm like you know what they could go on a business podcast if they want to like mine is kind of it ends up being a business podcast because I have people that are entrepreneurs and you know things like the CEOs of companies and stuff like that but it's not it's really about 
where my interest lies is in the person and in the journey and in the strategies and the mindset and like the, the grit underneath and the, the product of what that person has done is just the backdrop. Like that might sell, that might get people to tune in, but that's not really my particular interest. Like, you know, Henry Winkler, great example. Henry Winkler is the Fonz. Henry Winkler is, you know, uh, uh, Cousineau, you know, the acting teacher on Barry. I mean, he, you know, he is Henry Winkler. He's a total legend. Mm -hmm. But my interest in him was that, but also like the fact that he had dyslexia and thought he was dumb growing up and his wow. parents were really That's hard right. on him. And he, he didn't think he was, he didn't even walk with his, his graduating class of high school, but he ended up going to Yale drama school. And, and like, He's now co-authored 35 children's books and he's executive producer on MacGyver. Like I didn't know that until I started looking him up when I was about to interview him. I'm like, wait a second, what'd you do with MacGyver? I'm like, was your name on that only? And he's like, no, I was very involved. But that was a whole story because he has a relationship to education where he really felt like he was going to amount to nothing, but he wanted to act. And that's my interest in it, you know? So, yeah. so it's... It's always like, I, I, I don't know if that really answers your question, but the, it's, it's, it's very instinctive, you know? No, no, I agree. And, you know, I love that interview, by the way. You mentioned the MacGyver thing. I learned that too. But I also was surprised that when he was talking about how his, how his parents were really mean to him, they were really not nice to him. And he still kind of like remembered that he had a, when, when, when um, Henry was talking about his parents, he had a, lot, a little bit of anger when he was talking about that, I thought. Totally. I mean, he said he just got to forgive them, but I mean, he didn't even, his tone of voice didn't even necessarily sound like he had still, you know, like he, he was pissed off and that, and that's, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think these, the ones that really work, um, for me, and this is why I've kind of designed the show this way. They're just, they're just raw conversations and the listener can be a fly on the wall for a conversation that they normally wouldn't have access to, you know, and yes. whether that be with an actor or that's with the CEO of a company, or that's with someone who was diagnosed with colon cancer at 43 and given a death sentence, like whatever it might be, they're going to get access to that person and, and they're going to take what they can. And then I do these takeaways at the end to try to make it, you know, I, I like to have some type of, educational component at the end so people can walk away and feel like you know they, they can use this stuff like i want to entertain them and i also want them to walk away and have it help their life in some way you know right it's such so an awesome premise yeah it's such an awesome podcast an awesome premise for a podcast my very last question to you matthew is you mentioned your 12 year old son wanting to be an actor it's clear that much of that comes from dad um, you know, he, he I'm guessing he really admires you and really thinks the world of you. Um, are, does he want to see all your work? Are you selective about, I mean, obviously Wind River, probably not, but are there certain things that you, you're careful about in your filmography that he wants to see that you show them? How does that work? You know, that dynamic there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've tried to not show them, uh, too much. They did see, they did see Hot Pursuit, which is a movie I did with Reese Witherspoon, Sophia Vergara. It's like a, right. it's like a it's like a comedy, you know, like yeah. a buddy comedy type of thing. Um, they probably shouldn't have. It's probably too. <laughs> 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 they, they've probably seen too many racy things for them. But they, but um, 
they, my son came to visit me on the set of Scandal, but it was like when I had nothing to do but like answer a door. It was like literally nothing. He just liked being on the set. Tony Goldwyn was great to him. Let him call, you know, sit on the dolly while they were shooting and stuff like that. But, but you know, I was playing like, you know, a, 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 a sex worker basically on that show. Like, a, <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't need my son to see me in this. But, you know, so we don't, I haven't really you know, Wind River, they've asked. I said, no, mm-hmm. like they haven't really seen too much of it. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like my daughter also at one point wanted to, she's kind of past it. She did a couple of plays and she's, she's kind of done with it for the moment. Um, I, I, I try to keep them away from it a little bit. You know, they, sometimes you can't help. Like my best friend is, uh, Chris Messina, who's an actor who, you know, recently was in, um, <clears throat> why am I blanking on the name the, with, uh, Margot Robbie. Um, Oh, oh the, the Fox movie, um, DC comics. Okay. Uh, oh, oh, spin- oh, oh, uh, uh, birds uh, of prey. Yeah, birds of prey. Yeah. And so Messina is in like, you know, on billboards with this like bleached blonde hair and, you know, like, my kids call him an uncle, you know, and they're like, Oh, look at it. They're like, Oh, that's a, you know, like, yeah, there, there he is. You know, like it's gotta be weird. Like I grew up, I didn't, I didn't, you know, know any actors. It was not. So it's a very bizarre thing. Like the fact that my kids are growing up in, you know, Los Angeles and, and like that they have their dad has friends that are actors that they could see when they flip through the TV or on in the movies or whatever. I guess that's weird, but but it's also um, very cool, and I think they find it really cool too. I think you know that's awesome to see your dad and people he knows. You know, it's just that's just a yeah, great you know dynamic. What I try to do, you know what I try to do with them is, and particularly with my son because he's more interested in it, is when we're watching something, and it's probably annoying to be quite honest with you. He's probably annoyed as hell by it. But if we're watching something and he laughs or he's moved or whatever, I'll go, well, why did you like that? Do you see what they did? Like, like story wise, I'll just go like, you know, why did they, okay. So they set him up, right? So, so why were you interested? Because they set him up this way and then they turned it this way or whatever it is. Like he's been watching again. He probably shouldn't be watching this, but he has the office and I've been watching it with him (laughs) and it's a little like you look back at, you're like, Ooh, this hopefully a lot of this is going over his head. But, but you know, we'll laugh about stuff and then we'll kind of break it down a little bit. Like I'll try to break it down a little bit. Like, well, what, what was it about that? And what, you know, because I'm, I'm like, why not have him, you know, you don't want to ruin the magic for him. You want to just let him just watch it. But you're also like, well, I'm in a position to kind of contribute a little bit to his learning about story and learning about performance and all that. And like on the office, I've said to him, I'm like, you know what the great thing about this show is? It's really funny and the situations are ridiculous. But the reason you keep watching is because these performances and the tone, like it does have heart. It's ridiculous on one hand, and yet it's got it's got a real heart. So you can really get your claws into these characters and feel like you're you get close to them. That's why it lasted so long. You know, right. it wasn't just a ridiculous comedy. It was a ridiculous comedy that had a little something underneath it. But it's that bonding that I find fascinating. You know, the fact that you're just talking with him. And like, that's the stuff. I mean, you don't need to hear this from me, but that he's going to remember for years, I feel. I mean, that's just like, that's the kind of stuff I love hearing 
in an interview. Like that, to me, that's just, that's <laughs> well, great. I love it. Well, you should have heard him then the other day. Cause I was like, he was this whole thing he's going through with this play, the musical that he doesn't want to do anymore because he's playing <laughs> basketball. And I'm like, <laughs> he said something. I go, listen, because I'm very like, you know, encouraging. But then at a certain point, I kind of lose it. And I'm like, listen, here's the deal. You wanted to do this. We're paying money for this thing. I'm like, you got to do your part. You got to know your things. This is what you're doing. You committed. You don't want to do it next year. Don't do it. That's fine. I'm not putting a gun to your head, but you're doing it now. Do it. And I'm like, if you say you're going to be an actor, you got to do the work or you're not going to be an actor. He goes, oh, yeah. And he said, he said something like, oh, yeah. He's like, you're, you're not going to do it. You're going to be out on the street. I'm going to be making <laughs> I'm going to be making a billion or something. <laughs> he said something ridiculous. And I just was like dying laughing and hearing you saying like how inspired he is by me. I'm like, ah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> no, I believe it. I believe it. Um, I, my, my, actually, my very last question is, are all your interviews on your podcast, are they some remote? Because I feel like some – your website's phenomenal, by the way. Are they all in person? Most are in person? Almost all of them. I would say the majority are in person. But right now, since this COVID thing is yeah, hit, yeah. I'm doing, I'm just kind of going nuts while my show is down. And I'm doing a bunch of remote ones um, so I can stack them up so that when I'm back at the show, I these are all like lined up and ready to go. Over the years, I've done, you know, a few remotes like I would I don't know what the percentage is but for the most part I'd rather be in person I have people come to my place someone like Richard Schiff he was pretty busy he lives in LA I went to his place and I did it you know in his home office um it just depends like I'll try to I, I interviewed a politician at one point he was so busy I said I'll come to your office we did that um majority of them are here i have like a like a little home studio here and uh, the majority of them i will do here if possible yeah it's a phenomenal podcast it is called Ten Thousand no's matthew i have to tell you i'm sorry i dragged you on but so much fun to talk to i really appreciate you coming on the show today yeah man derek you're great great questions and um yeah, I'm I'm just looking at the time going, holy crap, I got to get going, but I uh when the when the questions are this good, it's uh it's easy to lose track. So thank you and thank you for you know, putting out Monday Morning Critic. I think it's awesome and it's uh I'm I'm really psyched to be on it. So I'm glad you liked it.